The Naked DJs Podcast. Are they really naked? We know they expose themselves every day just so they can bring you the best of music. They like to stick it out there for everyone to hear. You can hear their podcast on Anchor.fm, YouTube, and any of your favorite podcast platforms. Welcome to the Living the Dream Podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. Today, I am joined by author, podcaster, Army veteran and Army veteran advocate, Scott Delugio. Scott served six years with the Army National Guard. He went to Afghanistan in 2010 and so did his brother, Stephen. But his brother, Stephen, was killed in action. And when Scott came back from combat, he had trouble coping with the loss of his brother, as well as having went to combat. And he noticed other veterans were struggling the same way. So now we're going to be talking to Scott about his story and everything that he's doing to help other people cope and get through the struggles that they have as a veteran. So Scott, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. I, I really appreciate this opportunity to come and, and share my story with, with you and your audience. Well, why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure thing. Yeah. So like, like you said, um, I uh, am an army veteran. I, I served uh, about six years in the Connecticut Army National Guard, deployed to Afghanistan in 2010. When, when I um, joined the, the military, um, it wasn't something that I had necessarily planned on doing. Uh, it wasn't one of those things where I, I grew up uh, thinking that I'd be in the military uh, when, when I got older. Um, but I, I was raised in a very patriotic family. Um, my, uh, there's videos of my brother and I, uh, when we were really young, uh, holding American flag, singing the national anthem, things like that before we were even like old enough to actually get the, the right words out, you know, it was one of those kind of, uh, cute kind of videos, uh, kind of things. But, you know, so, so we, we grew up very patriotic. We, we grew up respecting the military and, and first responders and everything like that. And, um, and, uh, when 9-11 happened, I, I was uh, I was in college at the time, and I had considered just dropping out of uh, college at that point and just joining the military to go be a part of whatever the response was going to be. Um, but I knew uh, after I slept on, I knew my, myself and uh, I knew that I wouldn't go back to college if I was to drop out. And um, I, I was already a, a couple years in at that point, and I figured... Um, I figured I might as well just stay and finish where I started. Uh, if there was going to be any sort of military response, uh, it would still be there when when I finished college, and I, I would I would uh, think about it then. So uh, fast forward a little bit. Um, my my younger brother uh, Stephen, who you mentioned earlier, uh, he ended up going up to school in Vermont, uh, and he ended up joining the Vermont Army National Guard, and uh, and th this was before I I joined and. Uh, so I, I was, I, I looked at, at him and, you know, all of a sudden he went from being my younger brother to 
this this uh, guy, this military guy that uh, I grew up looking up to these these people, and uh, I, you know I respected the hell out of his decision uh, for for joining the military, especially during a time of war, and um, you know I, I was really uh, really proud of him for that. Um, and then about a year after that, I started hearing these reports in the news that the the military was struggling to meet their recruiting numbers, and so I that that started getting under my skin, and and I. I it really got me angry. And I, I was thinking like the 9-11 was only just a, a few years ago. And all these people back then were anxious to go and get some payback for what had taken place. And where are all these people now? And then I had a, a good hard uh, look at myself and I, I said, well, you know what? I am one of those people and I still haven't done anything either. So I said, you know what? I, all I have are excuses. Um, there's there's no reason why I shouldn't join the military. And uh, so I, I did. I, I signed up. Uh, I went down to the recruiter's office, uh, probably gave them the easiest sell on getting someone in the military uh, that they've ever had, because I just walked in and said, where do I sign? And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't quite that easy. There's some you know tests and paperwork and stuff that you have, you have to go through. But um, it, it was probably one of the easiest uh, sells that they they had ever had. So. So yeah, that's a little bit about me and my, my background. Um, uh, and then, like you said, in uh, in 2010, uh, my brother and I were deployed to Afghanistan, uh, where he was tragically killed um, during a, a firefight. But uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure we can get more into that in a, in a little bit. But, um, but yeah, yeah tell my, us about the day that you tell us about the day that you lost your brother. You know, describe as much as you can or as much as you would sure. like to discuss. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to describe the whole thing. Um, so I'll, I'll start off with uh, kind of what happened to him. Um, so his, his unit was on a, uh, on a mission to go into this village where there was some suspected Taliban activity where they were going to go in and um, try to clear the village and, and try to uh, detain whoever they could capture, you know, any kind of weapons and uh, things like that, if they could. Um, and so they went into this village and as they were, uh, they were approaching it, they got caught up in an ambush and uh, they start, started taking fire um, from, from this uh, position. And so like any good trained soldier would do, they all uh, kind of went for cover and returned fire. And um, in that initial uh, attack uh, during that ambush, my brother was hit and he was killed pretty much instantly. Um, where, where he was hit, there was really no saving him uh, at that point. Um, and so, but they tried to, they, they called for the medics. They called, you know, people came over trying to help him and, and everything, but, but he was gone. It was, too, it was too late for him. Um, and so that, that firefight um, or actually, sorry, that mission that they were on went from a, uh, you know, a, a search mission where they're going in and, and looking for this, this enemy activity to now a recovery mission. They now had to uh, retrieve him out of the, the battlefield and get him out of there. Um, and so, uh, you know, it was, it was a much harder mission at that point. Um, because now, uh, not only did they not have my brother's uh, gun to be firing back, because he wasn't physically able to to shoot back uh, after being killed, obviously, um, but there were were four people who were carrying him out on a, a like a stretcher, um, and so in total there were five people out of the maybe thirty to forty people who uh, were on that mission uh, who were no longer shooting back, um, and to make matters worse uh, during that. Uh, evacuation process another soldier was was hit and killed uh, as well and so now 
in total, they had 10 soldiers who were kind of out of out of commission, not not able to return fire. So, um, you know, the it, it got to be a very um, a very difficult situation for them. Uh, what they ended up having to do was um, uh, uh, they were on the kind of side of a mountain and they had to slide down this mountain to get down into uh, this village. And they they took over one of the buildings there that was kind of built into the, the bottom of the mountain and uh, use that as uh, their uh, their casualty collection point where they they brought the the two uh, kill, uh, two soldiers who were killed um, and and use that sort of as a little bit of uh, cover to p- provide them with some protection from the the incoming enemy fire um, and uh, that that firefight took place over several hours, which anyone who has been in a firefight could tell you that uh, five minutes in a firefight could seem like in eternity. And so, um, you know, they were, they were uh, pushed to their limits during that. Not only did they lose two of their friends, but they also, um, you know, had to fight, literally fight for their own lives. Um, and, and so that was a, a very traumatic day for them. Um, uh, the same day, I was out on a mission uh, as well. We we flew into this village the night before, and uh, we were basically sitting on top of this this mountain, waiting for uh, the first first light, the daybreak to to come through for us to go down into this village. And we were on the same type of mission where we were we were looking for. Uh, Taliban activity. Um, we had reports that they had stolen some Afghan army uniforms. And so we were going to go look for that in this village. Uh, we had reports that they had uh, weapons and like RPGs and, and things along those lines, other explosives. So that our job was to go and look through this village to find that, that type of stuff. Um, so as we we're going through this village, um, uh, we, we sort of got to the, to the end of the village. We found a few things, no, no people uh, that that were like fighting us, but we found uh, you know some uniforms that we burned and destroyed, and, and we found some weapons that uh, we we destroyed on the spot. Um, and then I I got a, a call on the radio from uh, my commanding officer, and he was looking specifically for me. And so I was a an enlisted guy. I was a, a sergeant, and. The, the way the chain of command works is usually the commanding officer would go through uh, the, the chain of command and, and work a message down through the chain of command as opposed to just jumping over it and going straight to the person that he's looking for. Um, and so that set off some red flags in my head. And um, it, over the radio, he didn't say what he wanted. Uh, he didn't say if it was a good thing or a bad thing or whatever. And and so I was, I was racking my brain trying to figure out what, what had gone on, uh, you know, what did I screw something up? Did one of my soldiers screw something up? What, what was going on? Um, and so eventually I linked up with him and he tells me that uh, my brother's unit uh, was ambushed and that my brother had gotten hit. And up until that point, I didn't allow myself to even consider the possibility that my brother wouldn't be making it home. At, at some point, or or even that he would be seriously wounded. Um, so when he told me that, I just thought, okay, well, he's probably just hurt. Okay, so what are the logistics looking like here? How do I get to him? How do I go there to be uh, moral support? Or if he needs uh, blood 
uh, or uh, a kidney or something like that, you know, uh, how do I get to him to, so I can go and be with him? You know, th this is me kicking back into big brother mode, um, you know, trying to help him and protect him in, in whatever way that I could. And um, then the commanding officer looked at me and he goes, no, I, I don't think you understand. I, he was, he was killed. And my whole world just came crashing down in that, that moment. It was like, I got hit by a freight train. Um, I, I, it was something that I just prior to that moment, it didn't even dawn on me that he could be killed. Um, he had previously done a tour to Iraq in uh, Ramadi, which was at the time a very uh, dangerous situation uh, that, that he was in. And he survived that. And so to me, I was like, well, he could survive anything. If he could survive that, he could survive anything. And, um, you know, why, why would I be worried that he uh, wasn't going to make it home? And, um, and yeah, so I, I just, I just broke down. I was, I was a mess. Um, I had had a couple soldiers come in and sit with me to, to make sure I was okay. Um, I'm still holding a, a loaded rifle and, you know, I, they, they're probably worried that I, I could do something stupid either to myself or to somebody else. Um, so they wanted to just make sure that, that I wasn't going to go, uh, go off the rails there and, and do something bad. Um, but within maybe 20 minutes of finding out of my brother's death, uh, our own unit started taking fire from the village that we just came out of. Um, obviously, there were some weapons and stuff that that didn't get discovered. Um, uh, th this mission that we were on was a it was a joint mission with the Afghan army. Uh, they were taking the lead uh, in terms of searching the, the houses. We were just there, uh, kind of as backup and support if if they needed help. Um, and so they they obviously did not find all the weapons that that were in the village. And so we, yeah, we started taking fire from this, this village. Um, we had RPGs coming towards us. We had uh, AK-47 fire coming towards us. And here I am, a, a sobbing mess. And I, I have to put all of my personal issues aside and pick myself back up and and go back to work and, and do my job. I, I had about uh, nine or 10 soldiers who uh, were, were under my command and they needed me there to uh, help get them in the right position to make sure we didn't have any friendly fire incidents. Uh, we They needed me there to make sure that they had enough ammo to uh, to fight back to, you know, do all the things that uh, an infantry leader should be doing. Um, and so in that moment, I, um, I, I was I was just enraged uh, at, at the situation. And uh, I had a uh, this this fleeting thought that I just wanted to go back down to this village and kill everybody that I saw down there. I, I just wanted to get revenge and pay back for it for that. But I knew if I did that, I wasn't going to make it out alive. Um, there's no way one any one guy is going to go down there and take on a whole village full of people who are are shooting at you. And I was I was married. Um, I had a newborn son at home, and my parents had just lost one of their sons. And I couldn't do that to any of them. I, I couldn't, I couldn't go and do something so selfish and so stupid, and uh, make them lose a second loved one that day. Um, and I also realized that if I went down there, my soldiers would probably follow me down there too, uh, back into this village, and that would put them at risk, and that would put that would put them unnecessarily at risk. And and even if by some uh, stroke of luck, I, I made it out of there. Um, chances are one of them wouldn't. And how would I look their family in the eye, their wives or their parents or their, their children or, or whatever. And, and say, uh, yeah, they, 
they're not here because I couldn't keep my, my head on straight. And so I decided, and this, this whole thing that I, I was just describing, this all took place in my head in a matter of probably 10 or 15 seconds. It was just a, like a rapid fire thoughts going through my brain. And so I, I decided in that moment that I needed to just put my personal issues aside and get back to work and go lead them and do what I needed to do. Um, and, and so that's what I did. And we were, we were fortunate enough that our, our unit did not take any casualties during that firefight. We had a, a few injuries, but nothing major, nothing serious. And, uh, after, after that firefight, um, our commanding officer, uh, called in a helicopter to evacuate me and, and a couple of the, the other, uh, wounded people. But, but he, he knew that I was in no condition to sit around there and, uh, continue fighting. So that, that basically started my journey home. Um, I flew from that remote village, uh, out to Bagram air base where, um, it's basically the main, uh, air base in, in Afghanistan. And that, that was my, the start of my journey home. Um, the next morning, uh, there was a, uh, a ceremony, they call it a ramp ceremony, and that's where they bring the fallen soldiers onto the, the plane that's going to bring them out of the country bring, to start them back home. Um, and so I was fortunate enough that I was able to be there for the ceremony that they had for my brother and this other soldier who was killed. And the, the reason why I say I was fortunate is because uh, typically there's there's no family representation at, at these types of uh, things. And people from all over the world. There, there were soldiers, foreign soldiers, uh, Polish soldiers, German soldiers, uh, I think even Australian uh, soldiers came to this to come and pay their respects. Um, there were high-ranking military officials. And, you know, to, to me, it felt great to be, uh, it didn't feel great, but it felt um, felt important that, that uh, my brother had someone from, from the family there to uh, you know, greet these people and, and, you know, thank them for coming. Um, because it, it did mean a lot knowing that, uh, people from all over the world took time out of their day to come there and pay their respects. And, and that was, uh, you know, a special thing uh, for me, but I, I managed to get a, a seat on that flight, uh, that, that he left, uh, Afghanistan on. And so we went to Kuwait from there and that's where, uh, I had to leave him there and then we, we parted ways and I, I continued on my way home. And, and that's, uh, that was, that was basically, uh, uh, but from the day that he was killed to the day that I got home, it was uh, about, uh, maybe two and a half days, uh, uh, in total. So, um, it was a very quick transition from being on a battlefield, getting, getting shot at to sitting in my living room and, uh, you know, being around other family and stuff. Um, so, so it, it was difficult because uh, I didn't really have any kind of time to decompress and process what had just taken place. Um, the, the firefight that we were in, the, the loss of my brother, um, it, it was all real, like I just said, uh, like rapid fire stuff that was, was coming at me. And it was almost like drinking from a fire hose where, where you just get so much and, and it, you can't process all of it at, at once. So, so it was, it was a tough time for me uh, during, during that, that time period. Well, let's talk about after you came back and some of the things you experienced and how you cope with it and what made you decide to become a Army veteran advocate. Yeah, absolutely. So when I, when I first came home, um, I knew I wasn't quite right. Uh, I wasn't the same person that I was when I left. 
Um, but I, I figured, you know what, I'll, I'll be okay. I'll, I'll be able to figure this out. Um, you know, this will just take time. You know, I'm, I'm grieving the loss of my brother. I, uh, had just gotten plucked off the battlefield and, and sent on a plane home. Uh, this is just going to take some time to process and I, but I'll be okay. But I wasn't, um, I, I couldn't sleep at night, no matter what I did, um, like sleeping pills and things like that just weren't working for me. And the only thing I could do to get myself to get any sort of sleep was I would just drink until I passed out. And, um, you know, that's not the, the healthiest way to go about doing things, but, uh, but that's, that's what I ended up doing. And like anyone else who drinks too much, you wake up with a hangover and you're, you're, you know, out of it and you're groggy and everything. And, uh, so I was, I'm sure I was a delight to be around, uh, you know, with, with my family and, and coworkers and friends and stuff. I, I, I probably was, uh, not the, the nicest person to be around, but, um, what I, I would try to do to get myself to shake out the cobwebs and, and get on with the day is just, I would, I would start drinking coffee and energy drinks and, and things like that to, to get myself back up and, and moving. And, and that worked okay for a little while, but, but then it was later and later in the day that I needed to continue drinking the, the, the caffeine to keep my, myself going. And it got to the point where I was drinking so late in the day that it was affecting my sleep all over again. And then even no matter how much I was drinking, I, it was hard for me to fall back asleep. And so it, it was just, just a vicious, vicious cycle where I just couldn't, couldn't get myself to regulate. And, and I, I kept trying to, I guess, in this case, like self-medicate where I was trying to force myself to sleep and then force myself to stay awake and, and everything. And it just going back and forth and I would get angry and, and at, at the smallest, smallest things. Um, I mentioned before I had a newborn at home and, and at this point he was, uh, you know, maybe a year old or so. And, um, he would do something like, like any other one-year-old would do like spill food off of the, the table or whatever. And, um, I, I would just flip out. I would just, I'd be yelling. I'd be, I'd be so angry. Um, you know, little things like that would just, just send me in a, uh, off the edge. And, and I, I just, I just couldn't keep it together. And it, it got to the point where I recognized that I, I wasn't quite myself, but I still was lying to myself saying, no, nah, I'll, I'll be okay. I'll be okay. Um, and then one day my, my wife came to me and, and she said, you know, I thought you'd be able to kind of handle this, but it seems like you might need to get some help. And I already knew this, but I don't think I was, uh, I don't know if I was strong enough to admit it at that point. And, and she helped nudge me in that right direction to, to have me go and get help. And so I, I called, um, I called for an appointment with, uh, the vet center, which is, uh, uh, kind of affiliated with the VA somehow. Um, but they offer uh, mental health counseling and, and things like that. So, so I called them and, and made an appointment. Now I really didn't know what to expect from this appointment. Uh, I didn't, it could have been any number of things that were, uh, that I, I'd have to deal with, but I, I just said, you know what, it doesn't matter what I'm going to get out of this. I, I need, I know I need the help. So I called, made the appointment. And after hanging up the phone, I, I felt like this, this little bit of a relief, uh, because I realized that I'm no longer having to, uh, deal with this, this burden all on my own. Uh, I'm going to have somebody else there. Who's going to help me with this. Who's going to help, uh, not necessarily carry the burden for me, but they're going to help show me how to carry it and, and deal with it in a healthy and more appropriate way. So I went to, uh, I went there for 
almost two years um, consistently, you know, week after week, just going in. And, uh, and it, it did help. It got my anger issues sort of under control. Uh, help. I was sleeping a little bit better at night. Uh, I wasn't drinking as much as I, I was before. Um, and I, I felt like I, I was getting things under control. So um, at that point, I, I said, okay, you know, what? I, I think I'm good. I don't need to keep going anymore. I'll, I'll free up this appointment spot for somebody else who, who might need it. And, and I'm good to go. And a couple of years later, uh, I started noticing that I was slipping back into some of these old habits again. And I, I was, I was drinking more and more, I was sleeping less and less. I was getting angry and frustrated all over again. And, and I realized that I, I hadn't really gotten over whatever it was that I, I needed to get over. Um, not that you necessarily get over the loss of, of a loved one. Um, but I didn't, maybe the things that I had learned in, in these sessions, maybe I, I, I slipped on them and I, I wasn't putting them to practice in my, in my day-to-day life. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I wasn't, I wasn't as good as I thought I was. So I went back and I, I continued going to, to counseling. Um, and, and it would that made me realize is that, um, mental health is a lot like, uh, any other uh, physical health uh, condition where, um, you know, on, on a annual basis, you might go to your doctor for, for a, a checkup just to make sure everything's going well. You know, you get your blood tests, make sure your, your cholesterol is in line and uh, you know, all, all these other things that, that the, the doctors do during these, these annual checkups. And uh, you know, it, it's kind of like that with your mental health as well, where you might need to just go get a, a checkup every once in a while, make sure, make sure things are good, make sure you're not going off uh, in the wrong direction. Um, and there, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and so that's sort of what I, I started to realize with, with my own mental health was that I needed, I needed more help than, than what I initially thought I needed. Um, initially, I, I didn't think I needed any, but, but then once when I started going uh, to, to this treatment, I, I, I realized that I did need some help, but uh, I, di- I didn't know how much. Um, and so, so I continued going. Uh, and as, as a matter of fact, I still continue going. Uh, and I still talk to uh, uh, counselors every, every uh, so often. And, um, you know, it, it helps to uh, just keep myself in check and make sure that I'm not going to slip off that edge again. But when we got back from Afghanistan, um, my my company was very fortunate in that we did not lose any soldiers uh, to to combat. No, nobody was was killed in action from from my company, uh, and that's out of about 150 some odd soldiers, and and that, that's pretty good, especially in in 2010. That was a, a very uh, difficult year in Afghanistan. Um, but what started happening after we got home is we started losing some of these soldiers to suicide, and. I mean, one is too many, but then when the second one, you find out about that second one and then another one, and you know, you keep hearing people that you've served with, uh, whether it was overseas or or not, you just keep hearing people that you you've served with, uh, who've taken their own lives. And I just was not okay with that. Um, I, I knew something had to be done. Um, I couldn't just sit around waiting for the next phone call saying that another friend had taken their lives. So I decided I, I wanted to do something that could reach more than just my little circle of, of army buddies and, and stuff like that. Um, because that's real easy. You know, we're all friends on, on Facebook 
Facebook, we, uh, you know, chat with each other, you know, semi-regularly and, and we, we can keep up with each other there. That, that, that was easy. I, I could always do that. Um, but I wanted to help out more than just that because I started to realize that there was a growing uh, issue in the military and the veteran communities where, you know, this number gets thrown around where, where 22 uh, veterans kill themselves every single day. And that's just a huge number. If you think about 22 people, um, like that, that's, that's just a, a crazy high number. And I knew that at some point, one of those 22 could be somebody else that, that I knew and that I cared about. And I wanted to do whatever I could to, to lower that number as much as possible. Uh, you know, I, and I'm, uh, I'm not, uh, you know, nuts. I, I know I'm just one man and I, I, I probably can't bring that number down to zero on my own, but, um, if I can bring it down just a little bit, then, then so be it. I'm, I'm glad to do whatever I can. So I wanted to reach as many people as possible. And so I started my podcast, the, the drive on podcast, and on the, the show, uh, I, we talk about, uh, thing, things that, other veterans have overcome uh, any of their their struggles, whether it's substance abuse, homelessness, PTSD, uh, depression, uh, job related issues when they transition out of the military, uh, education type issues that just general life issues that they might be dealing with. And and we talk about the the success stories of how they've overcome some of these issues and how they've they've gotten better uh, over time. Uh, some of them are still a work in progress, but they've they've tried things and they've been very resilient in that they, they weren't letting this get them down and that they weren't going to just uh, lay down and, and just accept that this is the way their life is going to be. And so we talk about those to share those stories with other veterans who might feel like they're all alone in, in this struggle that they're going through. And so when they hear these, these stories from other veterans, they're like, you know, what? okay, this, this guy or this, this gal, they got through, something very similar to what I'm going through. So let me listen to what they, they've done. And what I found is that that starts to give hope to some of these people. And, and it gives them uh, an opportunity to say, you know what, maybe I haven't tried every possible uh, solution that's out there. Maybe I, I just went to the VA and I had a, a, you know, a bad therapist when I went there and uh, it, it didn't work out for me but maybe I could try with, with somebody else or try some other form of therapy or some other something that they, they might need and, and not quit, just not to quit on themselves. Uh, and then on, on the, the other side of the podcast, we also talk to providers of services to veterans where they are, they're nonprofits. There's other organizations that are out there who are providing services, things like uh, equestrian, like horse therapy, where, where veterans will go and they'll, they'll work with horses, they'll ride the horses, they'll, they'll do things with horses. And uh, that helps them in their, their PTSD treatment uh, that uh, other things like uh, art therapy or music or uh, different things like that, just trying to get all the options out there because you know, maybe I might mention something about, uh, you know, art therapy, painting or, or sculpting or, or something like that. And maybe that doesn't resonate with, with this particular listener because, okay, well, uh, they're not very artistic and they've never been artistic and they're not really interested in it. Okay, cool. No, no problem. But there's something else, you know, maybe they love animals. They, you know, so maybe horses would be a, a better option for them. And so we go and we talk to all these different providers trying to just 
put out all the the information that that they could possibly uh, f- need to find the services that that will help them in their own recovery. And again, really all of this is trying to do is give hope to those people who are out there who may feel like they're struggling alone. They may feel like all hope is lost for them and they may be re- ready to throw in the towel. And we don't, we don't want that for them. We want to uh, give them a, a life of purpose and meaning and give them something to look forward to. And, and that's exactly what, what we try to do with this podcast uh, and, and help out with that. You know, I've, I've also written a book called Surviving Son, which is a story. Uh, it's my a story of my time in the army. And, uh, but it's also a, my brother's story as well. And so in that book, I talk about a lot of the things that I, I talked about already and go into the more detail um, in, in that, uh, that stuff as well. But um, really what I want people to take away from, from that book um, is on the, the veteran and the military side, I want them to learn from my mistakes and learn that there are healthy ways to deal with uh, PTSD, grief, stresses of combat and deployments and, and everything like that. Um, there, there's healthier ways to do it. You don't need to uh, drink yourself to sleep like I did. Uh, you don't need to try to skate out of going to these mental health services that are, are being offered. Um, you know, some of some people are like myself. We we go into these these meetings. Um, when I got home, there, there were these mandatory mental health screenings. And I, I just lied through my teeth and I said, everything was fine. Uh, everything wasn't fine. It wasn't even close to fine. But I, I just, there was a stigma around mental health and I didn't want to be caught up in that. And I, I didn't want to uh, spend any more time away from my family. Uh, I didn't want them to, you know, send me to a, like a, a facility where I'd have to stay overnight or, or whatever. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't want any of that. So I just said, you know what, everything's fine. I'll just deal with it on my own. But here's the thing. If it's not fine, it's not going to just magically get better on its own. Uh, you're going to need to do something to get help. And, and so I want, I want the veterans and the, the service members out there to, to learn that it's okay to ask for help. But then on the other side, I also hope that, that civilians, uh, the people who maybe have never served in the military or never knew anyone who served, I hope they can learn about the sacrifices that we make in the military and in, in the, the military community, the families, the uh, communities that, that we lived in, and uh, that these people who you hear about on the news, they're, they're more than just a face on, on the news. They had real lives. They had people who cared for them. They are, and they, they're out there sacrificing themselves for other people. And uh, ultimately, I want people to, to feel like they sort of knew my brother after reading this book, knew a little bit about him and, and could take away, um, you know, a little bit of that feeling that, that somebody who knew him would have had when, uh, when they found out that, that he passed away. Um, because uh, not that I'm some anti-war person um, or, or anything like that, but, but I want to make sure that uh, the next wars that, our country gets into uh, in the future uh, are, are wars that are worth the sacrifice that our, uh, our, our young men and women are, are inevitably going to make um, because I, I don't want us just running into uh, the next war uh, because 
maybe it's a popular thing to do. Um, I, I want people to really think hard about what the objectives are and is it worth sending the, these young kids into into battle? Um, and if the answer is no, then then maybe we should rethink what our strategy is. And and uh, so so that's kind of what I'm, I'm hoping people get out of that book. Uh, but but ultimately, um, you know, the goal is is helping out veterans, um, giving them hope, giving them uh, options, and and hoping that they they can come out on, on the other side of their uh, their traumas with with a sense of purpose and meaning in their lives. Speaking of the news, you know, in the last year, the troops have been withdrawn from Afghanistan. So tell us how you feel about that and how everything went down, the loss of the. 13 soldiers and and how mm -hmm. everything was handled even talk about that marine that got in trouble for speaking his opinion about it yeah well you know initially when i first heard that you know we're we're pulling out of afghanistan and this was earlier uh in in the year i, I knew there was some arbitrary uh deadline uh, that um you know it got set somehow i don't know exactly who came up with the, the date or whatever, but, um, and I said, okay, well, good. We, we have a deadline. We, we know the time that we're going to, we're going to be pulling out. Uh, we'll have plenty of time to prepare for this and we'll, we'll be able to get all of our equipment, all of our, our troops will be able to get, uh, the, our allies and stuff out of the country before this, this time period. Then as the date grew closer, there started to be this, this chatter of, um, you know, we're, we still have all this equipment. We have helicopters and, uh, you know, trucks and weapons and everything like that, just sitting there on, on military bases. And we didn't think to bring any of that stuff home. Um, and then we also had a bunch of our allies, uh, you know, Afghan interpreters. We had, um, you know, other people like that who, who were still in Afghanistan. Uh, even some Americans who were still in Afghanistan, there wasn't really a plan to get them out. And, and all of that just, just got me so angry. And I started like a lot of other veterans, I, especially those who served over there, I started thinking to myself, well, you know, was this even worth it? Was this war worth the fight? And I started getting kind of depressed about it, you know, especially thinking about my brother and, and all the, the thousands of other soldiers who, and, and Marines and sailors and airmen, uh, and everything that, that were killed over there, it just really started weighing on me. But then I, I said, okay, there's nothing I can do to change the past. Th those lives are lost. They're, they're gone. Um, what can I do? And what can I do that's going to have a positive impact on the outcome of this? And so I started thinking about the, the positives of, of what we were actually doing over there. And that war in Afghanistan was uh, started right after 9-11. It was in response to the 9-11 uh, attacks. Um, and I took a look back and I said, okay, since 9-11, there hasn't been a single plane that came crashing down into an American city. Uh, no, None of our buildings collapsed uh, because of terrorist attacks. We didn't have, uh, you know, planes dropping out of the sky or anything. Uh, so I, I think we accomplished that mission by protecting Americans here at home. Um, yeah, we went over there and we lost some some good people over there, but we all knew what we were signing up for. We, we knew that we were going to possibly go to war. 
especially if you, you signed up during that, that time period during, during that war. And we knew that our job was to protect Americans and we did that. And, and so I don't feel like the lives that were lost, including my brothers, uh, I don't feel like they were lost for nothing. Um, there were, there was a lot of good that was done by keeping the fight over there and not, not letting the fight come back over here. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, we saved a countless number of American lives. Um, but we also saved a lot of Afghan lives over there too. Um, we provided protection for them so that we kept the Taliban out of certain areas and, and people who lived in those areas were able to, uh, live a, a relatively free life in, in the, in terms of, uh, you know, what they had previously uh, known as, as freedom. Uh, it, it was much more free at that point. And so I feel like we possibly even uh, planted that seed of freedom in some of their minds, especially some of the young people, uh, the young girls, especially who had the opportunity to go to school for the first time ever. And some of those young girls are now uh, adults and possibly have children of their own and I, what I ever had. And I know that they, um, they are probably very similar in that they want better for their kids than what they had. And if they had uh, schooling and education growing up, uh, they probably want that for their kids too. And if they can't have that, then I'm hoping that they, they'd be willing to fight for it. Um, and fight for some of the other things that that we provided for them, different infra infrastructure that they never had, some bridges and roads and and uh, water going into villages that that never had that stuff before. You know, I I hope that they'll continue to to fight for this. Um, maybe that's just me being overly optimistic, but um, you know, I'm I'm hopeful that um, that they will appreciate what we had given them for those 20 years uh, and and that they will continue to fight for it. Um, and for, there's some people who, who still can't wrap their head around, okay, you know, we were, we were at war for 20 years and at the end of the day, it went back to the way that it was in the beginning of this war where the Taliban's in power and they're in control of the country and, and you know, they're, they're not, they're not letting them live the, the Afghans live the way that they, they necessarily want to. And so I, I talked about this in my book. I gave this example um, where my grandmother, she was diagnosed with cancer in 1968 and she went through all the, the chemo and all the other treatments and stuff that they, they went through and it was hell. It was, it was, it was terrible. She was sick and, and everything, but, but she beat it and she, she ended up going into remission. She, she got better and she ended up living for about 21 years after that. Uh, she died in 1989, but she lived long enough that she was able to see uh, most of her grandchildren uh, be born. I think all but one. She, she lived long enough to, uh, you know, see her, her children grow up and get married. She, you know, she, she got a lot of, lot of life out of that. Ultimately, it was the same outcome had the doctors just done nothing back in 1968. She would have died from cancer back then. Um, and ultimately, she had the same outcome. But I can't really say that their efforts back then were a wasted effort.
because she got to have 20 years of life. Um, and so I make that a, a, a equation uh, to the, uh, the Afghan people where the Taliban is a cancer, the, the coalition forces are uh, where the doctors and, and the people of Afghanistan were, were the patient. And you know, we, we provided them with, uh, with life for 20 years. Uh, we provided them with uh, a little bit of freedom and, and a better way of life during those, those 20 years. Um, uh, you know, and I, I hope that they see it that way too. Um, and yeah, ultimately it, it went back and, and the cancer came back, the Taliban came back, but, um, really at the end of the day, um, they, they were able to, uh, experience a little bit of freedom. And, and I think being able to experience freedom, no matter how brief and how short it is, uh, is better than never experiencing it at all. And, and so, um, you know, I'm, I'm, hopeful that uh, the people of Afghanistan see it that way as well. Well, go ahead and throw out your contact information, tell people where they can purchase your books and connect with you on social media and keep up with everything that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So my uh, book is available on Amazon. Um, you can get it there. Again, the, the name of the book is Surviving Sun. Um, the podcast is Drive On Podcast. Um, you can go to driveonpodcast.com and find out where to subscribe to that, uh, you know, anywhere that you listen to podcasts, but all the links are, are there on the, on the website. Um, and uh, on social media, uh, it's all, all the social medias are, are at uh, Drive On Podcast as well. So, um, you know, if you're on Instagram or Facebook, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, YouTube, we, you can find uh, the podcast there as well close us out with some final thoughts and this question here what would you say to a veteran that feels like all hope is lost close us out with that you know if if you feel like all hope is lost i, I guarantee you that you haven't tried everything and um, there's there's something else out there there's some uh some way that that you can uh, fight through whatever it is that you're going through and and what I've, I've told people before is that uh, at this point, you have already survived 100% of all of your bad days. You've, you've gotten through all of them so far. And you can make it tomorrow. And, and you can make it the next day. And you can make it next week and next month and next year. And you can keep going. And life will get better if you let it get better. If you, if you try the things that have been proven to work, uh, if you if you just have that resilient attitude where you don't give up and you keep trying, life will get better. Uh, it may, may not seem like it can get better right in the moment, but it will. And you just have to keep fighting for it and you have to want it. So, so keep fighting. Don't give up. Um, you, you've already survived all of your, your worst days. Uh, keep going. Ladies and gentlemen, be sure to check out Scott's podcast and all that he's doing to advocate for the veterans. Check out his book. Also, be sure to share this episode to as many people as possible. If you know of any veterans that need to hear this message, share it to them. Follow, rate, review, and Android listeners go to the Google Play Store and download the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast app. Scott, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused.
on living the dream. Dream.